The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We bring you news and analysis every day on the Sound On podcast. But now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe today. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where, of course, there are many questions about our support for Israel without a Speaker of the House. And we're going to get to the Speaker's battle. But let's start with what we know here on day seven. As I look to the terminal, uh, the Israel latest column is being constantly updated. and They're doing a really great job on this. As Secretary of State Antony Blinken touches down in Tel Aviv, we're going to talk about his visit here in just a moment with Nick Wadhams. He's already expanded the trip, though, with the headline Blinken expanding the trip to Saudi Arabia and Egypt. He spoke a short time ago upon his arrival in Tel Aviv. I'm here quite simply uh, with one message, and that is the United States stands with Israel today, tomorrow, every day. I think it's almost impossible for any of us to comprehend on a human level what Israel's experienced at the hands of Hamas. He was speaking there extemporaneously after meeting with a a group of survivors of the Hamas attacks last weekend. He later held a formal news conference. In fact, it, it may still be underway 
in which he was asked about the strike carrier group, the Gerald Ford that's heading in that direction and other potential U.S. military involvement. Here's what he said. We were, of course, as you know, uh, providing assistance as requested by Israel for its efforts. That will continue. Uh, and we're working closely with Congress to make sure that Israel has what it needs to do what it must. Um, with regard to the second front, as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, our determination and uh, that of Israel as well uh, that there not be a second front or a third front. If you're watching us on YouTube, where you can find us by searching Bloomberg Global News, you're seeing video as well of Blinken, who held a joint news conference uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu earlier. Let's bring in Nick Wadhams, Bloomberg National Security Team leader. He's our expert on this story and turning a lot of content here out of the Bloomberg Bureau in Washington. It's good to see you, Nick. Thank you uh, for joining. The significance of this visit, maybe you can speak to Antony Blinken acting almost presidential as he touches down, speaking from the heart, having an emotional meeting uh, with the survivors. And now this news conference, he seems to be the tip of the spear here for the U.S. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the roles that the top U.S. diplomat often plays uh, before there's even any real agenda for him. It's like, get on the plane, Hmm. go over there, show that the U.S. has your back. Um, And that's certainly what he wanted to do here. The big question I have is, you know, when does this ground war start and what happens if Secretary Blinken's in the region and then what happens Mm. to the extent of U.S. involvement. So you heard him there saying, you know, the U.S. has Israel's back tomorrow, today, and every day. You know, this thing is going to go in a lot of very unpredictable ways and the U.S. is going to have some tough decisions to make as that happens. for sure. Uh, What do you make of the addition of uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt? To your point, if he's in one of those countries and the ground invasion of Gaza begins, that's going to change the backdrop of this conversation real fast. That's right. So he, he's going to four more countries, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, United Arab Emirates, and Qatar. And um, obviously all four of those countries have different levels of influence on uh, Hamas um, and Iran, um, Qatar, for example. Uh, so what he's really trying to show there is that the U.S. wants to prevent this from becoming a wider war. So as bad as it is, you know, if you have further evidence of Iranian involvement in the Hamas attacks, uh, what's Israel going to do to Iran? Um, you know, and so it could get a whole lot worse and a whole lot bigger. Obviously, Egypt has some influence on on Hamas, on Hezbollah. We don't know what's going to happen there. So he, this is a move where he's he's trying to push these U.S. priorities. Okay, we have Israel's back. We don't want this to spread in a wider war. We also have this desire to keep uh, this normalization program on track. Israel and Saudi Arabia. So while they're telling Israel, you know, you guys go do what you need to do, uh, at the same time they're saying, hey, please don't forget about this peace initiative that we have that we want to keep on track. So he's spinning a lot of plates uh, on this (laughs) trip, clearly. He really is. Uh, He was asked about, speaking of the Iranians, the $6 billion that was uh, part of the recent prisoner swap with Iran. Nick, all of a sudden, the last two days, we talked to Republican lawmakers, and this is all we're hearing about right. is, you know, refreeze the money. And I'm not sure exactly what that would even look like, as this money has, has not done more than move to an account that's being run by the Qataris. Listen to what Anthony Blinken had to say about this in the news conference. None of the funds that have now gone to Qatar have actually been spent or accessed in any way uh, by Iran, indeed, 
funds from that account are overseen by the Treasury Department, can only be dispensed for humanitarian goods, food, medicine, medical equipment, and never touch Iranian hands. Um, we have strict oversight of the funds, and we retain the right to freeze them. What's going to happen to this money? We retain the right to freeze them. This was part of a deal that was made. Uh, would that agitate the Iranians further? Uh, yeah. I mean, this one is very complicated and has the possibility of going pear-shaped really quickly because, huh. you know, the U.S. made this deal with Iran. So if they then go back on that, then what's going to be the status of, you know, potential future talks over prisoner swaps? Um, I mean, the, the Iran issue has become so politicized in the U.S., it's sort of hard to see it straight. But safe to say the the one issue that is the case is that the U.S. has been pushing this this policy of de-escalation with Iran, of trying to use small steps to lead to other agreements to neutralize their nuclear program. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if Iran is involved in some way in, this, in the attack or in support of Hamas, it would cast a lot of doubt over that policy of de-escalation. But I think it is safe to assume right now that whether or not there is a formal policy of freezing those funds, the U.S., the Treasury Department, Qatar, they are not going to allow that money to move really quickly, mm -hmm. even if it's for humanitarian goods in Iran. I mean, uh, so, you know, there is some reporting out there that there has been a formal freeze of those funds. Secretary Blinken did not go that far. There may yeah, be a right. legal issue there whether they can actually do that, but safe to assume that money's not going anywhere anytime soon. Nick, thanks for coming over. We'd like to stay in touch with you to the extent My that you're pleasure. available. I appreciate it as always. He runs uh, our national security coverage here in the Bloomberg Washington Bureau, Nick Wadhams and his expertise with us today to get things rolling on Bloomberg Sound On. We're going to bring in General Mark Kimmett here next as we also uh, hear from the Secretary of Defense. Lloyd Austin held a news conference a bit earlier today and spoke directly to this potential tie, this involvement in this attack with Iran. Here's the Secretary. We've not seen any indication that uh, Iran was involved in the planning uh, or the execution of this attack. We've not seen any, any of those indications yet. And this is something that we remain focused on. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, um, you know, what we know at this point is that uh, there, there are no indications that w that was the case. But, again, we will remain focused on this. No indications yet. And there are demands, of course, uh, for them to show some evidence here. The other question that the secretary knocked down was whether the U.S. had some early warning. We spoke yesterday at this time with uh, Congressman Michael McCall, who discussed the fact that Egypt had given uh, Israel three days' notice on intelligence that it had. The secretary said, don't look here. In terms of uh, early warning or our, or our uh, uh, indi indications and warning that we may have had to uh, that this was going to occur, of course, Will, if we, if we had those indications, we would share them with, our, with, uh, with Israel. Uh, but uh, to my knowledge, we did not uh, see that. So. All right. That was Lloyd Austin, for those of you watching us on YouTube. As we turn to the general now, Mark Kimmett is with us, retired brigadier general, of course, former assistant secretary of state for political military affairs. It's great to see you, sir. Welcome back to the table, as always. We appear to be here on the threshold of a ground invasion, and we were talking about it on Bloomberg a couple of days ago. These forces are still amassing. What do you make of the walk-up to this apparently inevitable step? Well, I think the Israelis are doing exactly what you would expect a force to be doing pre-attack, 
No doubt they have their intelligence assets out. No doubt they're training. They're going over their plans. They're bringing their logistics up. Uh, all the normal things you would expect before you cross what we call the line of departure, the line of contact. Hmm. It's very interesting to note that <clears throat> Gaza is so small that there is not a place uh, once you cross that border where you cannot be shot from. So they need to be completely ready the moment they cross that border. Wow. Uh, I have a lot of questions about the form that this may take. But to what extent do you think Israel is allowing time for hostages to be recovered? Oh, I have no doubt that there is some subterranean conversation going on between Hamas and uh, Israel. Huh. Uh, I don't expect much to come from that. Uh, Hamas certainly understands that the only thing they have right now that can uh, temper the Israeli attack are those hostages. Once they release those hostages, I would expect Iran, uh, uh, Israel to go in uh, in a way they have not gone into Gaza before. We're talking about taking buildings down here. I think they'll stay completely within the laws of war, yeah. humanitarian law, but I don't think they will hold back on either their tactics and techniques. So how do you do this when you're dealing with an entrenched enemy that has tunnels, to your point, uh, extremely dense urban environment where they uh, they know the landscape better than anyone. This is a very difficult mission. Oh, it's extraordinarily difficult, particularly because of the tunnels, particularly because you have hostages, Israeli and American hostages, inside of Gaza. Uh, as I said before, that's the great conundrum. The military has been given a task, which is to go in, uproot, and eliminate Hamas leadership, bring the hostages back, uh, and try to keep the amount of civilian casualties to a minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, that is an enormously difficult task, probably the most difficult task you can get a military. If they do too much, the hostages could be killed. If they mm -hmm. do too little, the mission may fail. Are they already there? Are there special forces in Gaza making I'm not preparations gonna, I'm not going to reflect on that, but I would tell you that in the past, for this type of operation, you would need to have very, very good intelligence. Hmm. Now, given that it appears to me that the Gaza informer network uh, that Israeli uh, intelligence has had could have been wiped out before the attack, hmm. uh, they're going to need to get ground intelligence, close-up intelligence, and that can't be done from a satellite, can't be done from a radar. Is this then door-to-door, hand-to-hand combat, or will this be coupled by uh, air to ground? What what type of a battle are we talking about here? Or does it take talking, different contours as it rolls? I think it takes different contours as it rolls. But again, within the laws of land combat, mm -hmm. the arms of armed conflict, uh, conflict, I do not believe the Israelis will hold back. They obviously have resources Hamas does not have. What are, what are the most important ones? Uh, their troops. Yeah. They have disciplined troops that are completely enraged by the atrocities committed, uh, I would not be, I would not want to be on the, 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 the wrong side of an Israeli rifle right now. No, sir. Uh, the, the Gerald Ford is steaming to the eastern Mediterranean. Apparently the Ike is as well. No. Will they take part in command and control, or this is really about uh, projecting power and providing a deterrent? I think the main mission is to deter other actors from getting involved. That was the clear message from President Biden. However, those 
aircraft carriers and those strike fleets have tremendous intelligence gathering and, tr and, and tremendous planning capabilities. They're also bringing in special units, uh, no doubt. Uh, and if, in fact, somebody decides to cross the line and make this wider conflict, it is a tremendous defensive capability, deterrence capability. We could see a lot of things uh, take place over the coming days and weeks. Do you have any sense of timeline when they I roll in? Uh, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's probably for the best. Mark Kimmett, it's good to see you. Good to see you. As always, uh, we learn something whenever we have the general with us here on Bloomberg TV, on YouTube, on radio, whatever the platform might be. Retired Brigadier General, former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and glad you joined us. We get analysis on everything we've been talking about and turn our attention as well to the battle for speaker here in Washington with Republican House members behind closed doors today. Lauren Tomlinson, Republican strategist, is up next. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Live from Washington as the Secretary of State makes his way to Tel Aviv. Anthony Blinken touched down earlier today. He's already met with Benjamin Netanyahu and held a news conference earlier with some additional news on the trip as well. He's adding Saudi Arabia and Egypt to the itinerary here, which could get interesting if a ground invasion begins while he's overseas. Anthony Blinken referring to two paths that the Middle East can take. Countries in this region and in many ways countries in this world. But here in the Middle East, there's the path of integration cooperation, normalization, and equal measures of justice, opportunity, dignity for all peoples, including the Palestinians, or there's the path that Hamas has shown to the world these last few days. Terror, destruction, nihilism, a path that leads to nowhere for anyone 
except to the darkest places in our souls. The darkest places in our souls. Anthony Blinken uh, sounding and speaking somewhat presidential on the visit here, speaking uh, off the cuff in that case and making a lot of headlines from overseas as he met as well with the survivors of the attacks from last weekend. We'll have more on that coming up here as we bring Lauren Tomlinson into the conversation. Uh, you know her as, uh, as a Republican strategist here uh, on Bloomberg. It's great to see you. Welcome. People should also know not only you're a partner at Steer PR, uh, but you were also in the national security space for a long time as an official at the Department of Homeland Security. You helped to advise uh, the committee uh, on uh, foreign affairs in the House. And so we appreciate your perspective. I'd like to get to a couple of things today with you. And, and we can start with this trip. The Secretary of State seems to really be touching uh, people in an effective way here uh, as sort of the representative of the United States with the president speaking here yesterday. It's really Antony Blinken showing up in person who seems to be moving people when it comes to our message. What do you make of the trip so far? I mean, I think the trip is very well-timed and needed. And also, you know, Secretary Blinken is Jewish. And so he has a, a deep connection to, I think, this issue, these people. And it's it's coming across as very authentic in, in a way that I think that other officials probably couldn't connect in that way. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's very important that he's there. He's sending a very strong message of United States support for Israel, condemning Hamas and these terrible attacks. Um, and, you know, I think right now we have to continue to communicate as often as possible. You know, the Biden administration in particular, Biden has got to fill any voids of misinformation and make sure that he is yeah. out speaking constantly about support for Israel, you know, diplomatic, uh, you know, economic, militarily, whatever we need to do to make sure that we are supporting Israel in a full force way. And they need to be communicating to the, the world and the American public that this is the stance that America will take. And I think this trip definitely shows that that level mm -hmm. of support and that deep connection to Israel. He's adding the UAE and uh, Qatar to the trip as well as Egypt in Saudi Arabia. A lot of talk about the Qataris lately with this money that is being held in an account. Six billion dollars. It's a lot of money that was part of the prisoner swap uh, that uh, we conducted with Iran just a few weeks back. Interesting how quickly this has come back into the news. We've had a series of Republican lawmakers tell us on the air that that money needs to be refrozen. Uh, it's hard to tell exactly what form that would take but the administration has been clear. Anthony Blinken talked about it a short time ago. Not a dollar has been spent, and it has not moved from that account. Iran, as a matter of fact, uh, just said that there's been no change in access to the funds. Is this a liability for the administration or not? I think it's splitting hairs a little bit when they say that the money hasn't been touched. Sure, the dollars are there and they're still in the account. But yeah. if you were Iran and you knew that you were going to get a giant paycheck and it was coming your way, it's like what every American does or what any person does, right? You go spend the money before you even get it. So I think there was a little bit of uh, they knew the money was coming. Uh, Palestine in particular already had $75 million in food aid that had gone to them. Uh, there was a lot of money being funneled in with foreign aid into this region. Um, and, you know, they used the opportunity to spend it the way that they wanted to. So, you know, I do think it'll be splitting hairs a little bit. I do think mm -hmm. it's important that, um, you know, we find ways in which to prevent that money from getting to them and refreezing it. I think Tim Scott, for example, has introduced legislation in the Senate to do something of those yeah. of that degree. Um, but I do think that this will be a, a diplomatic conversation that'll happen amongst these countries to make sure that we're not unintentionally funding terrorism right through sure. this type of money. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Tim Scott Boy, he went pretty far with this. He said Joe Biden has blood on his hands. I mean, he essentially blamed the attack on Joe Biden, which 
uh, without any real clear evidence of that, seems to be going a bit far. And then there's the matter of Iran, of course, just overall, uh, whether it helped plan, uh, never mind finance this attack. And we found no link there either. Do we not need to be careful with the way we're talking about this? You know, there used to be this uh, rule when I was in working in uh, Congress where you didn't criticize uh, the American president when he was abroad yes, right. or when you were at war. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is... Um, there's restraint that needs to take as far as our domestic politics go when we are attacking ourselves from within, when we need to be showing nothing but strength and unity abroad. And I think that's a message that probably needs to be conveyed uh, to both sides of the aisle at, during this time, is making sure that, yes, there are there's going to be lots of opportunities after this conflict is over for us to do hot washes and, you know, commissions and figure out where the intelligence failures were yeah, and what right. the U.S. could do better and all of those types of things. But at this moment, we really need to be focused on our response to the terrorist attacks, how we're supporting Israel, and making sure that our government is functioning in a way that we can actually provide that type of aid. Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be a big debate about supplemental funding uh, at some point once there's a Speaker of the House, and we'll get to that. But I wonder what you make of the approach right now, because they're talking about bundling a lot of stuff together, funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine, funding for Taiwan and border security funding to either make it impossible for anyone to vote no or somehow mandatory for everyone to vote. Yes, I'm not sure the psychology here. Is that a good approach when Republicans have clearly an allergy to an omnibus budget bill like this? You know, I think it's going to be a lot tougher, especially when you throw in border security um, into this. I think maybe that there could be some horse trading on Ukraine, Israel, mm -hmm. disaster aid, that type of thing. Um, but I really, you know, although it seems silly to even have this conversation because the government in theory is going to shut down in a few weeks and we don't even have Speaker of the House. That's a very fair point. <laughs> so, you uh, know, like step one, fund the government yeah, and get sure. through like the next, you know, uh, CR uh, crisis. And then, um, you know, or really step one, get a Speaker. Step two, get us through the government <laughs> shutdown. Step mm -hmm. three, let's talk about aid packages. Um, You're very ambitious. <laughs> I know. This is Washington. <laughs> well, you know, we spoke to your former boss, uh, Michael McCall, yesterday who chairs the House Foreign Affairs Committee, he said he was good with that structure. He also said, though, the first order of business would be a resolution on the floor condemning Hamas and, and supporting Israel. That may seem obvious to, to some people here, uh, but you get a sense that this would be front-loaded as soon as there is a speaker, no? Oh, absolutely. I think there's huge urgency here uh, to make sure that, w once again, that the United States is showing full support. Our government is funding, um, you know, and helping the Israelis however we can. And part of the strategy, too, and, you know, McCall probably knows this better than anyone, is it is going to be imperative for us um, over the next few weeks to make sure that other countries don't jump into this conflict, mm. um, that this doesn't become an all-out war against Israel. And, you know, I think there was a lot of success today with Jordan releasing the statement that they did. It was very measured, and um, and it obviously indicated that they were not going to jump into the fray. Yeah. There's lots of questions about some of the other countries on Israel's border, mm -hmm. but that is priority number one, and part of that deterrence will be a show of strength from the American government that we will support them in this. So, you know, McCall's right as far as front-loading this and making sure mm -hmm. that we take care of it quickly, because the next two weeks are going to be really important for that effort. The next two weeks, indeed, and that's why there are not now one but two carrier strike groups heading to the eastern Mediterranean, right? Mm -hmm. Will we use them? 
in theory. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of conversations about how exactly we extract hostages if mm. that comes to it. Yeah. Um, so, again, moving assets to the region is going to be Boy. a really important part of that, depending on what type of operation they end up doing. You tend to think some of this stuff is already happening. and We don't know about it. Is that just me? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely it is, right? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I have a lot of faith in our national security apparatus, the intelligence community. Um, we have a very capable government um, and, you know, the most capable um, defense structure in the world, really, the most capable government in the world to take care of this and to do these types of things. Mm -hmm. So while we talk about things from a political perspective or, um, you know, on a, in open channels like this, there's yeah, so much right. that's going on behind the scenes that we'll know people later. people have no idea about right yeah. now. Yeah. It'll all be in the book, as they say. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. The U.S. offers charter flights out of Israel. Welcome to Hour 2 of Sound On. As the administration moves to help people leave the country who are looking for a way out, and we're joined ahead by Congresswoman Nicole Maliatakis who is helping to lead the push to get New Yorkers out of country. The Republican will also give us an update on the fight for Speaker, which continues here. We'll discuss that later with Bloomberg Politics reporter Mike Dorning. And data today on inflation. We'll be joined uh, from New York by Bloomberg Economics editor Michael McKee. We've got news as well today on the auto strikes in Detroit, which are expanding and we'll have all of that for you over the course of hour two here on Sound On. Live from Washington, thanks for joining us. Kaylee Lyons is here, just back from Capitol Hill. And it's great to see you, as always, Kaylee. You were there. You were as close to the sun as you can get today. Mm. And we didn't learn anything, really, about the race for speaker. The, the session, I think, on the floor lasted about two and a half minutes. And I guess the Republican 
uh, conference meeting behind closed doors didn't last a lot longer. Well, there's we're still hearing from members who are coming out of the meeting. It's unclear, really, Joe, to your point, how much progress they're actually making in there. It seems like it's generically an airing of grievances hmm. uh, about Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise trying to allay some concerns as he tries to get the 217 votes he needs mm-hmm. to be speaker. And yet I caught up with a number of members outside of the room who said they are still not with Scalise. Carlos Jimenez, for example, is still McCarthy only. Yeah. There's others like uh, Congressman Miller, who are still nose on Scalise, and some who are saying, like Congressman Self, they're going to vote Jordan, even <laughs> though Jordan said he would give the nominating speech for Scalise. It just feels like it's still math that isn't adding up. My God. Uh, I'm glad you came back. <laughs> uh, because I'll tell you what, uh, Congresswoman Molly Atakis is still there. Uh, Nicole Molly Atakis of New York, of course, back with us on Bloomberg and joining us from Capitol Hill. Congresswoman, it's great to see you. I want to ask you about your efforts here involving Israel. Uh, but with regard to the fight for speaker, do you have a popsicle headache yet? Look, it's uh, it's very frustrating to me because I just want to move forward, elect a speaker and get back to work. There's just too many things going on in this place. We, we have government funding that's going to run out in roughly a month and we need to pass the remaining eight of the 12 appropriation bills and send them to the Senate so we could begin these negotiations and try to get some wins for the American people who want to see wasteful excessive spending caught. They want to see secure border. Um, and so I look, I, 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 I was with McCarthy all the way. I mean, McCarthy was a great speaker. What happened to him was a travesty uh, and it was an injustice, uh, but uh, he's no longer running. And uh, I supported Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan did not come out ahead of Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise won yesterday's vote. Uh, And as was reported, Jim Jordan supporting Steve Scalise. So I'm with Steve Scalise now. He's a good person. He's an honorable person. He will make a good speaker. The bottom line is we just need to get in that room, elect a speaker, and move forward. There's just too many things happening in the world, too many threats here at home. We need to get the job done uh, and start protecting the American people. Well, Congresswoman, you say you think he is a good and honorable person, but does that make him the person within the Republican conference who can get 217 votes? It just seems like it's very difficult for him at this moment. Yeah, look, it seems that uh, I don't know that anyone can get 217 votes. That's the problem. I mean, you know, there's always seems to be a small faction who's opposed to anybody that we put up. And it's not always the same eight people, right? So we had Matt Gates and his crew work with the Democrats to remove Kevin McCarthy. We supported by 97% of our conference. And now we have a different uh, 10 to 20 people who are opposed to Steve Scalise at this time. Uh, so it is challenging and it is frustrating for people like me who just want to move forward. I, I supported all three of those individuals. Uh, I'm sure there's many other people within the conference who can do the job. Um, But we just need to be united and understand that our fight should be with the Senate, with the White House, for the conservative policies that the American people want. And that and that in this time when there's so many uh, global pressing issues uh, that that could easily become uh, domestic issues. And they are in many ways. Right. Because we have Americans who are in uh, Israel that we're trying to get evacuated. We have some that have sadly already been killed by Hamas. Uh, these are the this is exactly what we should be focused on today is how do we support our ally Israel? How do we get those Americans home, which is I I've been pushing the State Department. And finally, we've got some good news today. Uh, but but this is what we should be doing, not sitting in a room, you know, airing grievances. Yeah, it's got to be tedious. I just wonder to the extent that you engage with your colleagues, 
Congresswoman, what do you tell your fellow Republicans who disagree when you're behind closed doors in a meeting like that today? Or is, is that not the tenor of these gatherings? Look, I think everyone gets an opportunity to say how they feel, uh, where their support is, what their concerns are, what needs to be changed. And uh, that's fine. Uh, but at the end of the day, we still need to, if it's not going to be Steve, we need to figure out who it is. But somebody has yeah. to get the 217 that is needed so we can proceed with our mm -hmm. legislative business. It's only going to make things worse if we don't get to pass the appropriation bills that need to be passed and send them over to the Senate now. That's delaying a process. And then, and then they're going to be all upset in a month when we get stuff back from the Senate that we're unhappy with and there's no time to negotiate. So, I mean, <laughs> we just need to get back in there, pass those remaining bills out, uh, send support for Israel uh, and 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 get on with the legislative business. I, like I said, look, I I, I can support multiple candidates. Um, I, I laid out three for you that I thought could be good speakers. Um, but but at the end of the day, it's not just me, right? You have 221 people in a room. Everybody's got a different opinion, um, and that's just you know leading to the frustration that we're seeing among members like myself and others. Well, as you talk about the difficulty of getting 217 Republicans to back any one individual congresswoman, I wonder where you think the Democrats are in this. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted or posted on X earlier today. I will read you the quote. Given that the vote for speaker was supposed to be yesterday, it seems much more realistic for five Republican members in Biden districts to vote Jeffries than it is for Mr. David Duke without the baggage. She says that in quotes, referring here to Steve Scalise, to flip 107 people in overtime. Congresswoman, what is your response to that? But, you know, the Democrats are complicit in what occurred with the removal of Speaker McCarthy. They all every single Democrat voted with the right fringe of our party to remove a speaker that 97 percent of our conference supported. So they are complicit. They are part of the reason why we're in this situation without a speaker to begin with. They said they didn't want to be involved in the Republican uh, fracture. Well, then they should have all voted president and then this would have never happened. If they just voted president and stayed out of it, this would have never happened. But they chose to insert themselves and they voted with Matt Gates, who is among uh, you know the, the, the most right wing member of our conference, who who majority of our conference uh, wishes he wasn't part of our conference uh, to remove a speaker that was doing a good job. And why? Because he averted a shutdown, because he prevented a debt default and because he averted a shutdown. He was removed from power because he did the right thing on behalf of the American people. The Democrats should have done the right thing and recognize that, you know, this is something that should be applauded, not punished. That's why a lot of people are saying, Congresswoman, I'm sure you hear it if I'm hearing it, that Kevin McCarthy is still a viable candidate and could be speaker yet. Is that something that you would allow for? I'd be all for it. I think Kevin was a great speaker. He did a good job. We passed a lot of our priorities out of the House. People may be upset that the border is not secure. It's not because of House Republicans. We passed that bill. It's because of Chuck Schumer. They are refusing to do their job. They don't want to pass our bill, and they don't want to pass their own bill so we can reconcile the differences. People are upset about energy costs. It's not because of House Republicans. We passed our energy uh, priority to, to increase domestic production to lower the sale, lower the cost of gas and energy costs across America. Senator Schumer's been sitting on it, he refuses to, to address it. Um, so it, 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 the people have to recognize that, they, they, that we are only one third of the federal government and that we have to work with the Senate and the White House. And, you know, we're not going to always get what we want, uh, but we were able to get some good things. I thought uh, in, in particular capping spending, making sure we had more checks and balances for the president to be able to spend money without congressional 
uh, support. Mm. You know, there's certain things that we were able to negotiate in that debt limit. I had faith that Speaker McCarthy was in the room negotiating the best we could get for the American people from the conservative perspective. Uh, unfortunately, there's some in our conference that don't understand give and take, compromise, negotiation. Everybody's got to give a little to get some. And, and that's really what, why we're in the situation we're in today is because people want to be stubborn and want to be holdouts uh, instead of seeing the bigger picture here that we, we need, it's good for the party, it's good for the Congress, the institution, and it's good for the country if we go in and just elect a speaker and move forward with business and recognize the fight is not with each other, it is with the Senate and it is with the White House. Okay, well, Congresswoman, let's talk about the White House, because we just heard from the White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, that President Biden is going to be releasing a supplemental request next week. And we have had reports in recent days that that supplemental request may include funding for Israel, along with funding for Ukraine, Taiwan, possibly border measures as well. There's been a lot of talk now about the idea of Ukraine funding and funding for Israel being tied together. Is that appropriate in your mind? I think these are separate issues that should be taken up separately. There's already been, uh, what, $125 billion sent to Ukraine. Um, people rightfully want to know what's been done with that money. What, what are the goals to, what are the goals? Should we give more money? What, are the, what will it be used for? Uh, they want to see metrics. They want to see accountability. Uh, Israel is, is, is imminent right now that we, we get something to support them because we haven't done any package to support Israel yet. Uh, certainly they need more equipment. They need Iron Dome interceptors. They need precision uh, missiles. So we need to do that. And that is important. Um, with the border, uh, to, to ask them, us for more money to just continue paperwork instead of actually securing the border, that, that should be a discussion because we've passed the Border Security Act that would reinstate many of the policies of the previous administration that was stemming the flow at the border, was making sure we knew who was coming in and out of our country uh, and was doing it responsibly. We need to be very concerned right now that we have an open border. And the fact that the Senate and the some of the Democrats and well, all the Democrats from, from the House are not taking that uh, seriously is a problem. We, when we pass the Border Security Act, we're simply saying, look, people should remain in the next safe country, not come to the United States. That's what, that's what created this influx that we're seeing. Uh, we also don't want people to be just released into the interior without knowing where they're going uh, or where they'll be or if they're going to return for their court dates. Um, we need to add immigration judges to hear these cases more swiftly, determine who's a legitimate asylum seeker from who is not. And we need to put in place what Customs and Border Protection have been asking us for technology, training, equipment. They've been asking us for certain things. Um, and unfortunately, I think I got disconnected here. Unfortunately, um, we're in a situation where, you know, we need to move forward and pass the border security. Look, just to make it clear for people, 1.7 million individuals have entered into our border, okay? And they are unaccounted for. These are undetected individuals. It's what Customs and Border Protection have estimated. This is in addition to the five, six million crossings that we've seen. 1.7 million individuals. We don't know who they are, where they are, what their intentions are. This should be very concerning considering what is happening in Israel right now. All right, if you can still hear me, uh, Congresswoman, I'm, I'm not sure that she can. Let's see if we can figure that out. This is uh, the beauty of, of live thing. broadcasting. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually happened to me on the air before. Congresswoman, I apologize. Right, that's I'm, I'm that's happened to me now. as well on the air. There's, there's a, it's a horrifying feeling. Um, 
I just want to, to better understand, though, your answer to Kaylee's question. Would that bog down, then, a supplemental request for Israeli funding? Is that why you want to see that handled as a separate matter? You know, if you're going to bring the border into this and you're going to bring Ukraine into this, there's a lot of questions that members have. Um, Particularly, we want to see real border security um, and and we want to see some of the policies that we've passed in our Border Security Act enacted. So, yeah, that could slow down support. You know, and it's probably why the administration wants to insert it in there, because they're trying to just get what they want without having to answer questions uh, from members of Congress. But we have uh, checks and balances. We have oversight. We have to hold this administration accountable for what they are and not and are not doing. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that if, if there's going to be uh, any, anything related to the border, that we're going to see serious border security to stop this unsafe and unsustainable flow that is affecting the entire nation and my mayor is saying is going to bankrupt uh, and destroy New York City. Mm. I've got one more for you, Congresswoman. I know this is difficult for you. If you're with us on YouTube, you can see why. And you can drop your earpiece after you after I ask this question. Uh, and it has to do with your drive to get flights out of Israel. If we can get back to where we started here, uh, the administration today, the State Department is talking about getting chartered flights together. But you led a letter uh, that was uh, signed on by uh, more than 100, I believe 140 lawmakers to try to get New Yorkers and others out of Israel who need access to that transportation. Where does that stand? Yeah, so, uh, well, it seems like the State Department has been moving now and that this could begin as early as tomorrow. Uh, What we've basically said, and and it's a shame that we're already on five days. Other countries, Germany, Poland, uh, Mexico, Canada, they've been there. They've been evacuating citizens either via uh, military aircraft or chartered uh, commercial planes. Uh, We believe now that uh, we finally are hearing that the State Department is going to start uh, evacuating individuals uh, via chartered planes uh, as early as tomorrow. So we're waiting for that evacuation plan. I think for those who have relatives, loved ones, American citizens who are uh, in Israel who are trying to leave, I think the most important thing they could do right now is, uh, is, is, is make sure they're registered with the State Department. They could do it online. Um, uh, I've posted this information on my Facebook page. People can get it off of there. And you should call your member of Congress. I think that's really important because my office has been working directly with constituents to try to get them on charter flights uh, through another means, not with, without the help, unfortunately, of the State Department, but through a congressman, yeah. Corey Mills, who's on the ground right now. And we've been able to get either people to Jordan or uh, now we're working to try to get people to Cyprus. Um, so what I'll say is it is important that you let your Congress member know if, if you are in Israel or you have a loved one, American citizen is in Israel, so that way they can help track and, and you know, expedite uh, the situation uh, and get them on the right path. It's a really important message. I'm glad you could join us, Congresswoman. Thank you for spending some time with us today from Capitol Hill on what, of course, we know is a very busy day. Nicole Maliatakis, Republican from New York, uh, clearly uh, going through a lot here, Kaylee, and frustrated mm-hmm. at the process involving the speaker or lack thereof. Yeah, lack thereof being the state of play at the moment, Joe. Mm -hmm. And it's very unclear at this time how long we're going to stay that way is it feels like not a lot of progress has been made. And, you know, something that members did tell me has been buzzing about Byron Donald said a number of members have brought this up, even though he doesn't necessarily agree with it, Mm. is empowering Patrick McHenry, the speaker pro tem, to -hmm. do more in the interim. We've been talking about that since the beginning. We may start talking about that a lot more again, Mm -hmm. as yesterday's breakthrough doesn't feel like so much of a breakthrough at this point. Pretty interesting, though, Kaylee. She said she was still open 
to a speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. We'll see if that actually has to become a reality, potentially. <laughs> we'll see. Someone's got to get the votes, right? Find us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News if you want to see Patrick McHenry really slam that gavel. I'm Joe Matthew alongside Kaylee Lines. It's the fastest show in politics. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.